All right, welcome to another Ember Weekend. I'm Jonathan Jackson. And I'm Chase McCarthy. And we are, I'm very uh, pleased to say, uh, joined here by Trent Willis. Hey, Trent. Hey. Trent is a uh, software engineer at LinkedIn and Ember contributor unit core team maintainer? Yeah, something like that. Something, right? You're, you're very active in the QUnit space. Yes. Uh, testing in general. Uh, and, uh, and a lot of other things you've almost assuredly heard us talking about, uh, some of his work, uh, re-lazy engines, if you're a long-time listener, uh, and a lot of other things, I think Ember examined some other things that we're going to talk about today. Uh, so I'm really excited. Um, yeah, I guess before we get dived, uh, <clears throat> I guess before we start, uh, I need to know uh, how excited you are for Breath of the Wild. I'm uh, super excited. Uh, it's basically like a dream come true. I mean, I was a huge fan of Elder Scrolls games and huge fan of Zelda games. And so they basically put the two together. Right? Yeah, it looks great. It looks beautiful, too. And I, I don't know, I actually saw some uh, some gameplay uh, over the over the weekend. And I saw some like really neat physics things. So that's kind of cool. I'm pretty excited about that. I've avoided watching any of the footage. So that way. Oh, wow. Yes. Do you have like Twitter filters for like avoiding spoilers and stuff? Uh, no, I'm just a very uh, quick reader. <laughs> quick reader, you're like, nope, that's no, I know what that's all about. I'm out. Chase, <laughs> do you do you have a do you have a Switch yet? Uh, no, but I definitely want to get that game. Uh, but I know what's gonna happen. It's I, I can see it happening on Twitter to other people where they, uh, they're like, uh, I really want to make some software to help me play this game better. And it's so, like someone made like a like a <laughs> Google map of the of the entire area, and like they're like tweeting about. It was like over the weekend, and they're like tweeting about putting all the markers and stuff on it. And I'm like, that's exactly what happens with me in games like that. Is like, that's I played for like you, you did that for Rust, yeah. I mean, Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did a Google map yeah. for Rust. <laughs> wow, <laughs> totally. Did you build it in Rust? Uh, no, actually, it was like, well, I actually was writing Rust kind of around the same time. Uh, but yeah, it's, it, it, it makes, that game makes searching for anything about Rust Lang hard, like really hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a few. Have you ever tried to use the language IO? It's an oh, object-oriented yeah. language. It's impossible to search for. Well, anyways, uh, we got a lot of stuff to talk about, so I'll stop wasting your time with Breath of the Wild stuff, even though I'm super excited about it. Um, but uh, we'll dive in with our interview with Trent. All right, so uh, Trent, um, you're really involved as, or heavily involved in the QNIT space as like a contributor and a maintainer core team. I don't know if it has necessarily a core team. I think we're, we're, we're both a little bit uh, unsure about that. Uh, how did you get involved in that space? So my involvement really came out of just kind of necessity. So when we were working on originally redesigning LinkedIn's mobile application uh, about two years ago now, there was a bunch of, I guess, features that we wanted out of QUnit that weren't there yet. Uh, stuff like before and after hooks, um, the ability to do like regex filtering of your tests um, and things like that. And so I opened a couple of PRs and eventually Leo Balter, who's the project lead, reached out to me and just asked if I wanted to uh, help maintain the project. And so I said, sure. Uh, for some reason, I tell people I'm a masochist and that I actually enjoy testing. And so uh, <laughs> it felt, felt like a natural fit. Yeah, totally. So with, with those features and stuff, are you do you still find yourself uh, doing feature development on QUnit or is it mostly uh, kind of switched over to the, like maintenance mode or? So uh, I think my presence has actually pushed more features than were previously going on in QUnit. Uh, I've been very much cognizant of trying to push the framework forward. Uh, so like some stuff that we've added recently, we just landed uh, 
the ability to have to-do tests, which are basically tests that expect a failing assertion. So that way, if you're doing like a refactor or say like trying to redo your framework's rendering engine, you can have a bunch of tests that aren't passing yet. Uh, mm -hmm. Then once they do pass, you can get notified of them by because they'll fail. Um, and then other things we're working on is kind of like adopting a new standard pluggable event emitter interface for the reporters that you use with QUnit. And that, are, that is setting us up so that we can have a built-in QUnit CLI so that way you can do things like Mocha to easily test your node code. That would be awesome. Yeah, I was actually going to ask about that. Um, so so what, um, what about uh, the event emission uh, stuff that you're doing is going to pave the way for like a CLI test runner? So there's, a, there's another project that was originally started by some folks from the QUnit team um, called the JS Reporters Standard. The idea is that it specifies a certain set of like events um, and data for those events that test runners can implement. And then you can have these generic set of reporters like tap reporters or stuff that logs to the console or what have you. And um, you can just use them with any test framework. And so we've been holding off having a more flexible reporting framework uh, on that event emitter stuff that is coming. And so now that that has finally landed, uh, just landed like last week, uh, we're going to start moving on, like actually getting a CLI with a built-in like tap reporter by default um, in some conventions around like where to put tests and how to run them. What is a tap reporter? Oh, <laughs> so tap is a protocol that stands for test anything protocol. Uh, and it's basically like the default uh, printout that you see when you run Ember test, like in a console, uh, that's basically tap output. Yeah, so I'm familiar with it, but not the protocol name. That's neat. Yep. Yeah. So uh, in the QUnit space, uh, I see, um, I see like big players like Ember adopting QUnit. Um, have you noticed um, other organizations starting to really embrace QUnit? Because I, I know that Mocha is used quite heavily, and there are other competitors like the the testing spaces. Um, you know, there are there are a few, and they they kind of uh, break down not just in like preference but also in like by platform kind of so i think tape is really popular in node land and there's a whole bunch of different test runners um well i guess that's a test runner but like testing uh frameworks um so what what i guess what's the ecosystem right now and like what is the the adoption of qunit in general outside of the ember space so right now i would definitely see like the ember ecosystem is probably the biggest user of qunit uh, i found that there are honestly not so not a whole lot of big players other than our community, uh, which is both like great and bad. Um, I mean, it's great because it helps us like do the things that we want to do, but it's kind of bad because like we have fewer people contributing and uh, it's a bit harder to garner interest in some of the stuff that we want to push forward. I would say by far, like after looking around, there's been a lot of test frameworks coming out recently. There's like Ava for Nodeland testing, Tape, as you mentioned, uh, Jest, as well as some other smaller ones that are popping up. Um, but by far the biggest still, I believe, is Mocha. Like uh, if you go to basically any blog post or like talk talking about JavaScript unit testing, Mocha will be mentioned. Um, yeah. And so we, we've unashamedly adopted some ideas from there. Like, I mean, having things like nested modules and some people like behavior or BDD style assertions like the expect stuff. Uh, yeah. We want to make all that like easy for our users to use in QUnit, even if it's not our default setup. Right, right. That's cool. That's cool. And I imagine the the Node test runner is also um, a pretty big uh, way to garner a little bit more support in a broader ecosystem as well. 
Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, one thing that I've heard uh, stated by many people, uh, including like people on the Ember Core team and just in our community, is that they would love to use QUnit for their node tests as well, especially because it's so easy to get set up and running in the browser. But like not having an out of the box solution to it really kind of puts a damper on that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, so what's the what's the position of uh, kind of QUnit as opposed to Testum? Like, uh, where does Testum fit in when QUnit starts taking over a lot of the uh, node style or the the node side of tests? So, in my opinion, they're pretty complementary. Uh, one of the things that I think a lot of people have a hard time with, and I've been meaning to write a blog post about this, is just kind of the whole testing stack for Ember CLI apps out of the box. Because um, I mean, you got like you have Ember itself, the test command that you run, then test them as well as QUnit and Phantom, and like how do they all fit together? But uh, test them itself is really like at its core, kind of just a task runner. Um, it does some other stuff that makes it particularly good for running tests. Yeah, so I foresee a future where test them, you'll be able to just have a single config where you can run both your node-based QUnit tests as well as your in-browser QUnit tests. And that'll just be like different commands, different launchers in test them parlance. That's awesome. That's really yeah. cool. <clears throat> cool. So in the uh, QUnit space, is there anything um, that you'd like to call specific attention to or get some more eyes uh, to look at? So uh, as I mentioned, like, to do tests, uh, which just recently made it in, they were in the most recent release, which was uh, released on Sunday, is are pretty cool. Uh, this is something that no other framework is doing, and I think they offer a lot of promise as far as like incorporating TDD into projects is concerned, because um, it allows you to write your tests ahead of time, even if the even if they're not going to pass. And so that I think is really big. But unfortunately, because this isn't something that like other frameworks have done before, none of the reporters out there currently support it. And so mm -hmm. like in order to get some adoption, we're going to need some help on that front. Okay, cool. So, so, so really... is, this like a, is this like a test then that would, uh, it, it might not pass, but if it does, you maybe show, you show some indication that, hey, you're one step closer, but if it fails, it doesn't fail to build. Yeah, exactly. So they run and if there's a failing assertion or like an error anywhere within that test, uh, it'll still mark it as passed, but it will note that it uh, had some failing assertions. But then if that same test were to have all of its assertions passed, it would actually report as a failure. So that way you know that like this is ready to be turned on as an actual test and try to prevent regressions in the future. Yeah, that's awesome. So I don't know, like maybe a couple months ago, we had an interview with uh, Chris Thoburn and he was going on and on about uh, Heimdall uh, being pulled into uh, Ember Data. Um, and you're working on uh, with uh, kind of a project to visualize this Heimdall tree of, uh, of calls, right? Yeah, I've been working on that uh, with Robert Jackson and have had some input from both Chris as well as like Stefan Penner. So what's the rationale behind it? Uh, I know it's it's tracking, uh, you know, how long what what like uh, a function takes to execute or something like that. And then you, at the end, you get some performance metrics of uh, where you're spending all your time, right? So, uh, so that's one of the features of Heimdall. So Heimdall, like its most basic sense is just kind of like an instrumentation library. So it mm -hmm. provides two concepts really, and that is like stat collection. So like how many times a function was called and then also like runtime measurements. And so that is like knowing how long a function took to execute. Uh, and so the idea here is that you can have a bunch of nodes, which basically can represent like either function calls or like a plugin for like a broccoli build system. And then 
you can kind of take all this data and aggregate and use that to get a holistic picture of like how your JavaScript code is performing. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think the uh, the visualizer that we're gonna definitely have a link for um, that you've been working on uh, is mainly set up to um, display the broccoli trees uh, more effectively. So I know that they already had some of this instrumentation in like Ember CLI like a long time ago. Like that's what you see when uh, rebuilds trigger, right? You see like what trees are taking the longest and that's through Heimdall, right? And then this visualizer is a D3 like kind of fancy way to look at that. Is that is that kind of the idea? So I can't speak to the like old implementation, um, but the new one, that is definitely the goal is like, uh, you can add the broccoli viz environment flag to like your Ember command of either Ember build or Ember serve. And then you can, it'll generate some JSON files for you and you can upload those JSON files into this visualizer. And it'll give you like a tree that just shows you like where time is being spent in your build. And so this has been huge for us at LinkedIn um, as we've been kind of like scaling our app and trying to make sure our build performance is good is it gives us a really easy way to kind of look at where we're spending time in our build. Huh. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so uh, I guess like from a practical like perspective, um, big companies are going to get uh, used for this when they have like complex builds that are utilize utilizing a lot of their own custom broccoli stuff. Um, this is also going to be useful for like add-on authors and uh, I guess even, you know, any any team that has some broccoli modifications. Is that kind of like the general place that you'd start to use it? Because I feel like if it's just tapping into Heimdall visualizations, those JSON files could be generated with the Ember data stuff too, right? Yeah, yeah. And so that's that's the goal is that Heimdall would be not just for like node and build code, but that you could also instrument like uh, runtime applications. Uh, I think there are some plans to like integrate it into kind of Glimmer and have some debug builds where you can kind of get actual like realistic looks at the performance characteristics of your app as it is running. Right, and there are, uh, there are plugins and things, right, that will uh, remove all the kind of the reporting code out of their, your final build? Yeah, yeah, so Chris Bilburn Runspired wrote a Babel 6, and I think it's also a Babel 5 plugin that'll basically strip all the Heimdall code out from your uh, libraries or add-ons. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I know that there's like a ton of work every time, uh, well, I guess I guess more recently because of the switch over from Babel to 6, or from 5 to 6, uh, like rewriting all those plugins to make sure they all still still work. Because I don't think the plugins, I think it was actually major some verb bump. So that's pretty sweet. Yep. Um, cool. So I guess like uh, when you start talking about this, um, what are the things that are most exciting about it for you? Like obviously there are the implications at LinkedIn. Are you um, seeing specific spots where you find you're reaching for this tool more often or? So I think just in general, it's like looking at ways that we can improve uh, build performance, not just for large apps at LinkedIn, but also just across the board for anyone using Ember CLI and Broccoli. Uh, so like just yesterday, I opened a PR that was about like pre-building add-ons. So that way you don't have to redo all that Broccoli work whenever you consume an add-on. And so like that was directly born out of the fact that we were looking at these build graphs and seeing like there's a whole bunch of like repeated work that we really shouldn't be doing. Uh, and That's so cool. We're trying to get insights like that, that not only the like broccoli Ember CLI experts can find, but even that like people that just know how to drag and drop files into the browser can kind of figure out. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a really cool goal. I like uh, I like the idea too. And I think uh, Chris was really excited about how, um, how good Heimdall is as an instrumentation library because of like how, I guess, fast it is. I don't remember exactly um, his rationale, but he really enjoyed it for that, so. 
so yeah, you you mentioned that uh, uh, Heimdall has some kind of tie-in with how uh, how broccoli is working. So you're obviously doing a lot of work in broccoli and helping you know because that optimizes everything your 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 builds and your tests, um, or at least the starting up of your tests. Um, so you recently started up this uh, this project. Uh, actually, I don't know how recently, but the broccoli plugin kit. So what is that all about? Broccoli plugin kit was actually uh, the brainchild, I guess, of Stefan Penner. Uh, but I have contributed heavily to it. Uh, and the idea is that basically we want to have a good starting point for people that want to develop broccoli plugins. Because right now it's kind of this like magical thing that only like JavaScript wizards know how to do. Uh, you have to like go read source code. There's not a whole lot of documentation. And then even if you have, once you have a broccoli plugin, uh, running, you may not even have implemented it in a performant fashion. And so like there's a lot of learnings and stuff that we've had over the last year and a half, two years as we've kind of like grown the system uh, for use with larger and larger applications. And like we want to package all those up into a kit that people can kind of just like run a simple CLI command and get a good base ground for them to start from. Um, kind of what Ember CLI does for Ember applications. Is this going to be, do you, do you happen to have some insight into whether or not this is going to be uh, like the first, this is like a testing ground kind of thing? Like, should people be uh, like, are there, are there obvious pitfalls? I know just thinking of the obvious parallel between Ember AppKit, there was like an on-ramp period that um, uh, if you got on that really fast and you're like, oh, this is really exciting. It ended up being like a little bit more difficult to transition. And it was really those pioneers that were, fleshing out the design constraints of, of a, of a system like this, especially like, you know, when you want this to really flesh out across an entire community, uh, and really work really well for, you know, everybody. Um, do you, do you think this is a, a place where people could start using it now, or is this still kind of like beta wear? So I would say it's still kind of beta wear. I, I'd say most of the patterns we have in the blueprint are relatively solid, but uh, as is, I guess, the story with everything in Broccoli, the documentation is still lacking. And so that's like the biggest area. I know there have been folks in the Broccoli channel on the community Slack that have asked about like, you know, how to use it, uh, where they can get involved in. Uh, our biggest ask has been, whatever you do, just document it along the way. Right. Right. Definitely. Yeah. So yeah. is the is the goal with something like this to have uh, kind of the same Ember CLI uh, ecosystem where you're going to have add-ons that specifically are targeted to work with Broccoli Plugin Kit? Uh, not really. There'll, there'll be a bit diff, uh, a bit of a difference. Basically, Broccoli Plugin Kit is really just more of a blueprint. Uh, and from there, it'll just integrate with the bigger like Broccoli ecosystem. Like Plugin Kit won't really be a platform like Ember CLI is. It's really just more of like a, a starting point. So it gives you like a, a testing harness um, and some way to build uh, maybe um, ESX modules and, and convert them to ES5? Yeah, yeah. So it does all that stuff out of the box for you. Uh, it uses Broccoli itself to kind of build the Broccoli plugin uh, by giving you stuff like Babel, uh, ESLint out of the box, um, async await for your tests, uh, and stuff like that. And is this Great. is this designed to be used uh, kind of in browser in Node land, and is it, or is it configurable? Uh, it's specifically for Node um, right now because I mean that's where Broccoli is predominantly used, mm -hmm. uh, and so like. Once you run the blueprint, you can configure it however you want. Uh, but the goal is that like you shouldn't have to spend time thinking about things that you know are reasonable defaults, like having ES6 and linting. Yeah. Uh, okay. Right. So so it's more for building just uh, broccoli plugins. Uh, this isn't for just general purpose uh, node libraries. 
Yes. Okay. So, um, so you mentioned uh, documentation being Broccoli's kind of um, like downside or like a problem in, in the space. Um, if if someone wanted to write some documentation for this, where would they like begin? Where's the like? Is it is it like a tool like this, kind of learning the ecosystem, kind of from uh, from the plugin author side, or do you recommend like going into the channel Slack channel and filing tickets for the broccoli like documentation tickets or something? Or how do you how do you imagine like going about trying to add some documentation? So I think like most of those approaches are good. Uh, we need a variety, obviously. Like I mean, you can filing tickets is good because it help us it helps us know what specific people are or what problems people are struggling with specifically. And uh -huh. so like that, that's beneficial because, you know, we could just write a whole bunch of stuff and if it's not answering the problems that people actually have, then it's pretty much useless. Um, right. But then on the flip side, right, myself and other open source contributors, we have limited time. And so we don't want to spend all of our time just writing documentation. And so like, if you can dive in, uh, learn how to build a plugin, maybe bounce some ideas around the community Slack channel uh, and then, synthesize some documentation from that that would also be like super super great and we would really love that yeah definitely cool yeah i think that's a, i think that's really solid advice especially like the trying to balance the the consideration of uh the open source maintainers like people who have commit bit on broccoli and stuff like that their time and also like your time in trying to find some sort of you know when you when it when you can do it you, you should do it i think that's really good i actually think that's good documentation advice just in general in the ecosystem um so yeah, I really like that. That's awesome. So um, so we're gonna link to that uh, block broccoli plugin kit. So if you are so inclined, you should definitely check it out. It looks really really cool. For the for the people following at home, could you uh, explain what uh, Ember Exam is at a high level? Sure. So Ember Exam is an add-on that is really just focused on helping you run your tests faster uh, and helping you identify where your test suite may have some flakiness or like non-atomic tests. Uh, so Sam Selikoff over at Ember Map put together a great introductory video, which you can find in the README on the GitHub repo. And I highly recommend checking that out. It's a super great like minute and a half kind of introduction to what the add-on is and what it can do. Yeah, we'll, we'll be sure to link that. That looks really great. We, we seem to be linking to at least one Ember Map article per per week for like forever now. Recently at, at, uh, at Q2, uh, uh, Jeffrey Biles had the uh, kind of thought to pull Ember exam uh, into our production code base. Um, and I'm super thankful that that exists. Uh, we, uh, we had kind of crept up on our test times and that really helped. So at one, I just wanted to thank you for writing that because that was, that was definitely helpful. Um, but also, uh, you know what what all what all goes into that because I know that there's there's some tying you have to do with testum uh, specifically to say uh, to parallelize and then you have to tell it how many to parallelize and then there's splitting that goes on and some other kind of partitioning you can do. Um, do you use like Ember Exam at LinkedIn to to speed up your tests? Yeah, so Ember Exam was largely born out of again necessity. Uh, we had a large test suite in our app and it was just like becoming such a bear uh, like our by the time that I actually like integrated it into our test suite, it was taking, I don't know, probably somewhere on the order of like 40 to 50 minutes to run from heads to tails. Um, mm -hmm. And so that was just obviously like unsustainable. Uh, we had some naive test splitting that we tried to do before that was basically just like, you know, run a bunch of different commands and different processes with specific filters. 
but that gets brittle over time and you have to maintain it. Right. Yeah, we, we had we had come up with something similar to that where we were, you know, trying to check out certain parts of the um, uh, kind of add-ons and, and app that we have or use specific tags to say these should run at a certain time or uh, because we know that some are uh, might fail and we want them to fail early and so we kind of want them to run first or whatever reason. Um, and this, it, it, the other thing it also helped us do is that it, it sort of randomizes um, the, the order of the test, at least because they get partitioned out separately. Um, so we noticed we had some flaky tests that we were able to fix that are, um, that had been historically problems, but this kind of forced us to, to tackle it. Um, it also uh, showed us how much load our CI server can handle um, because we, we had definitely like crept the number up and parallelized it to, I think eight. And then we were like, well, okay, you know, we're definitely, uh, it starts bogging down and timing out um, if it's using up too many cores because um, we're, we're running those locally. Um, but it, uh, it was it's surprisingly easy to, to configure. Uh, Jeffrey, I think, had it set up in like, I don't know, maybe an hour. Um, and then we, uh, you know, he took, I think he halved the time it took for our acceptance test to run. Um, we don't run it for everything. We're just running it for our main uh, acceptance te tests in our app. Um, but that definitely, definitely helped. Uh, the other thing that we ended up doing that, um, and, and this is where, I mean, knowing Broccoli, I think really helps, um, is that we ended up uh, in combination of, with Broccoli and Yarn, uh, doing some things that allowed us to do uh, like a single Yarn install rather than like, uh, I think seven NPM installs. So overall our test went from like 45 minutes or an hour, they were like creeping up and up and up, uh, down to, I think we got it down to like eight minutes. So it was, uh, it was pretty good. So, I mean- <laughs> That's pretty good, that's pretty good, you know, it's all right. Sorry, right, whatever. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, it's just it, there's a, I mean, a series of things that had to, you know, we had to do like yarn, yarn's all, all awesome. Um, Ember exam taking the actual test, you know, time down, and then some, you know, broccoli magic to, um, you know, kind of uh, build up kind of a, a temporary directory rather than uh, rather than trying to isolate the tests where they exist uh, in the app structure and our CI, we were kind of pulling them out into uh, into a temp tree and manipulating them in there and outputting them, uh, and that that seemed to help a lot. Much less copying. So, oh yeah, we're using uh, we're using Ember Mocha, so I don't think we get we can't randomize if I remember correctly uh, with that. But um, but other than that, I mean, it's yeah, that's actually something that uh, I know there's an open issue on Mocha on GitHub to add randomization, but I don't know where it's at or if it's ever going to move along. I'm hoping I might go and chime in and hopefully convince them to. Uh, adopt a like setup that is similar to Q units, so that way it's a much easier interrupt. Mm -hmm. That'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah, really cool, really cool. Okay, so uh, so Ember Exam is super cool, and uh, you should definitely be using it uh, if you have a test suite that honestly you should just be using it, even if your test suite's super fast already, um, because as test suites grow, um, keeping that in check and the uh, non-atomic test uh, test catching uh, is like very very valuable. Um, there's nothing more frustrating than a flickering test. Uh, so, well, that's probably not true. <laughs> it's pretty, it's up there though. Uh, and yeah, just check it out. We're going to link to that and we're going to link to um, uh, QUnit. I think we actually mentioned that a little bit earlier, but we'll we'll uh, link to a bunch of testing stuff. Uh, but Ember exam is definitely something you should be looking at if you have a, an Ember app. So, uh, so definitely check that out. All right. So uh, there's a tradition uh, you, you may have, heard um we were supposed to warn you about it we always say that we never never do we ask our guests to uh name the episode um so uh what do you got for us trent uh so we gotta tie it back into breath of the wild uh we can call it breath of the tomster 
<laughs> I love it. I love yeah. it. That's so good. It, it really so it really does bring about uh, two very distinct mental images. You're like, oh yeah, Breath of the Wild's great. It's gonna be a great game, Breath of the Tomster. I get it. And then you're also yeah. like, wait, Tomster Breath. Uh, okay. I need to find a little ocarina like um, <laughs> kind of effect to play. Oh yeah, good call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are, are you editing this this part? No, you are. But that's like so. now. I'm, yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, you gotta splice in some Zelda sound effects. I, <laughs> right. I yeah, Make it sued. I totally agree. Yeah, uh, yeah, for all the money we're making. Um, <laughs> all right, so thanks for sticking with us uh, through uh, another Ember weekend. Um, it's been really great to have Trent on. Thanks again for uh, for coming out. Great time, guys. Uh, and uh, you know, as always, uh, you can follow us at uh, Twitter on uh, Ember Weekend, all one word, or our feed at emberweekend.com/feed.xml. Uh, and um, yeah, look look forward to all this stuff. I'm actually really excited about pretty much everything we talked about uh, here. Uh, so yeah, QUnit, the Heimdall stuff, Ember Exam, uh, Broccoli Plugin Kit, it's all gonna be really cool. So yeah, once again, thanks for uh, stopping by, uh, Trent. And uh, yeah, I'm Jonathan Jackson. And I'm Chase McCarthy. And we will see.